Thank you for what it says in Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Lord, we just worship you because you are the creator of the universe and you understand each person's life. God, we pray you would minister to us today because we need it. And we ask in the name of our most faithful high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Well, it's almost Christmas time. Have you guys noticed what the stores are already doing? Yes, right? If you go to Kmart or Walmart or Target, they've already got the Christmas trees out, right? And uh, it's so interesting when you start thinking about this, how this is a very interesting season. And a lot of people uh, go through unusual, we'll say, personality changes. Sometimes people become very depressed during Christmas time. Others become very joyful. To many, it's such a warm time. But either way, ladies and gentlemen, we should use this time as a way of reaching out to people. Amen? Because some people will only come to church on Easter, Christmas, and maybe Halloween. And we as God's people really need to take advantage of that and use these avenues to try to reach people. Well, December 14th and the 21st, we're going to be doing a very special Christmas program. It's going to be a little bit bit of a production and a musical as well. Many of you guys are involved in this. And this is just going to be a wonderful time to invite friends and family to come on out. And we're going to make a very special appeal at the end of it. The dates of those are December 14th and the 21st. And they will take place Sabbath morning. And guess who the director is? It's me. So you guys are in for some trouble. But December 14th, we're going to be dealing with the shepherds and their visit to the manger. And the 21st, we're going to be dealing with the wise men and their visit to Jesus. And this is going to be an extraordinary time to lift up the birth of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, the name of the sermon today is called the Angelic Rescue Team. Has anybody here ever rescued somebody? Okay. I sort of rescued somebody. Let me tell you how it took place. It was kind of a, I'm not really proud of it. It's kind of a botched rescue attempt. But I was with a group of people on a houseboat. And somehow somebody who had decided to swim out a long way decided to come back, but they got so tired, they seemed to be just straggling in the water and they're just raising their hand up. And somebody says, hey, help them out. They're drowning. Unfortunately, I wasn't thinking about the situation. I had, you know, one of those giant swim no- swimming noodles? You know what those are, right? They're about six feet tall. They're just like this noodle shape. And these things are designed to float. In other words, when you jump into the water with these things, they're going to shoot out. So I thought to myself, oh no, someone's in trouble, I'll jump in. And I jumped in with the noodle to help them. And as soon as I jumped in, I went down in the water a few feet and I looked up when I came out of the water and the noodle shot out of my hand off the opposite way. And it was a botched rescue attempt, but I was able to swim and help them out. But uh, either way, there are a lot of rescues that have been taking place. When you take a good look at just this typhoon that took place in the Philippines, there are a lot of rescue stories that are coming out of that. A lot of calamities that are taking place all over the world. Yet at the same time, there are heroes that are emerging. You know what's very interesting is that there's been sort of this popular story that's been going around, and it's the story of a Jewish man 
and he was actually not a Jewish man, he was from England, and he had a, a German-Jewish background, but he was actually involved in the rescue of over 600 Jewish children. Now, here's the most remarkable thing. He didn't tell a soul about it. Until years later, his wife actually discovered some of this, and it came out what he had done. He was not somebody who was trying to take a lot of glory to himself. Well, anyways, there was a special program where he was brought on, and in this special program, he is actually unaware that many of the people that are sitting in the audience are the very people he has rescued. Here's actually the video clip right now. All the letters. But back here is the list of all the children. This is Vera Diamant, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. <laughs> and it was just so wonderful. So terribly, terribly Yeah, he's still unaware touching. that everybody else in the crowd he also rescued. Can I ask, is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton? If so, could you stand up, please? Right, we can turn those lights back on. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. It's sort of a, a microcosm of what it's going to be when we get to heaven one day and Jesus is going to share with us how many people were affected and changed by our ministry here on earth. Amen? But this is a wonderful story about somebody who risked his life, his money, his property, his family to rescue over 600 Jewish children. And this is a remarkable story. You can actually look more into it. You can go online and find out more about this story. But I was thinking about rescues this week, and I came across this subject about rescue teams in the Bible. There was actually an angelic rescue team that was sent to help somebody in the Scriptures. We're going to find out more about this individual's life. Everybody, take your Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. The context of the story is... You have a man by the name of Jacob. Now, Jacob was a very interesting fellow. He was named after he came out of his mother's womb. The reason being is when he was coming out of his mother's womb, he seemed to be a little bit mischievous from the day of his birth. So the word Jacob actually means supplanter or deceiver. And so he had this reputation, but yet he himself was godly, but he wasn't perfect. And that's what's awesome. With Jesus, you can be godly and still not perfect, right? But as Jacob began to grow older, what happened was there was a little bit jealousy and concern about who would take over the camp after Isaac died. Well, you can know the story. Jacob tricked his father, pretending that he was the older son Esau, and there he received the birthright blessing by fraud. Well, everybody in the camp got very angry at Jacob, so you can imagine that Jacob began to go through a lot of different feelings after this event. 
Jacob himself was no longer loved by his brother. Esau was now looking for revenge. And he said to Jacob, he said, when Esau dies, you will die next. And can you imagine this? Now Jacob's reputation was marred in the camp. Everyone didn't see Jacob as that faithful younger son. They saw him as this deceiver and somebody who was not to be trusted. And now Jacob, causing the stir in the camp, the father Isaac realizes what's going on and he sends Jacob away. Look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 28, verse 5. And so Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. Jacob is sent away from this camp. And you can imagine, it wasn't like this wonderful, joyous sending away or party like that. All it was was this very mournful goodbye. Jacob had disgraced the family. Things had changed. No one looked at this man the same. His reputation was marred, and it seemed to Jacob that the plans and purposes of God for his own life were now ruined. Let's continue. Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. Let's start with verse 6. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And there he blessed him, saying, giving him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. That Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau, Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. Verse 10, now Jacob went out of Beersheba and went to Haran. And so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it on his head. And there he lay down in that place to sleep. And can you imagine here, Jacob, he's not going out like Abraham's servant with this great caravan to go find a wife. He had literally nothing. Here's a man that was sent away from the camp. He has nothing with him, no possessions. He has a family. Some of the family members want to kill him. He feels spiritually disconnected from God. And now it seems as if his whole life has been utterly ruined by the mistakes that he himself made. The Bible says that he decided not to travel when the sun had set. At nighttime, there were raiders that went out, marauders, thieves, wild animals. And so you can imagine Jacob was probably scared and alone. And if he could get no lower... He didn't even have a pillow to rest his head. He took a stone that he found, and he slept on that stone. Woke up probably with a stiff neck. No. He actually woke up blessed that day, and you'll find out why. But can you imagine that story? Everything seemed utterly ruined for Jacob. Everything seemed to be destroyed by Jacob. It seemed that his mistakes, the effects were now going to follow him and utterly wipe out any good or any hope in his life. Hated by his family, seemingly forsaken by God, destroyed his future plans. And now here he is alone and scared and worried and concerned about the future, and he's sleeping on a rock. The past was not something he could go back to, and the future seems so dark. 
Who was going to marry somebody like this when he had absolutely nothing to offer them? Can you imagine that, men? If somebody came to your daughter and said, I would like to marry your daughter, but I don't know anything about you. Well, what's your name? The deceiver. You probably may take out a gun and say, my name is 9mm. No, you wouldn't say something like that, right? No, that's bad. Okay. But you get my point, ladies and gentlemen. Like Jacob had everything stacked against him. There was nothing pleasant about Jacob's life. And it seemed here he is in the middle of the desert, absolutely alone, utterly broken, that God extended his grace. Let's continue with the story. You're going to see something remarkable take place right here. Look what the scriptures tell us. What took place right after this event? Genesis 28, go all the way to verse 11. He came to a certain place and stayed there all night because of the sun that had set. And he took one of the stones of that place, placed it at his head. He laid down in that place to sleep. Verse 12, then he laid down and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. All of a sudden, Jacob in the middle of the night has this great vision and he looks up and you know what he sees? He sees this very remarkable ladder. Now, what was so unusual about this ladder, the Bible says that the base rested on earth and it was going all the way up into heaven. And there were angels that were ascending and descending up and down it. And he's watching the whole scene in in this great vision. And then all of a sudden, he hears this mighty voice. Look what the Bible says next. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it. Can you say amen to that? Who was at the top of the ladder, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus was there. Jesus was at the top of that ladder. Let's continue. And the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and of the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and all your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now watch what he says in verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done for you what I have spoken to you. Can you say amen to that? The reason why this is so powerful is because here you have God actually repeating something he had said to another individual a few generations ago. Do you know who he spoke almost nearly the same words to? Abraham. And do you know the words of Abraham were always carried in the camp from to Abraham's family to Isaac's family? And the fulfillment of this was something these, this small band, this clan of individuals were always looking forward to. And you know what God does for this man who was broken, who seemed to have been forsaken by God? God says, Jacob, what I have told to Abraham, I am telling to you at the worst possible moment when it seems like Jacob could go no lower on this planet in his experience God brought purpose and meaning and grace back to his life. Can you say amen to that? 
And it's so awesome when you think about it. Here he is at the lowest point of his experience, his spiritual experience. And here God presents us ladder, or it says in Hebrew, actually like a staircase or ramp. And there he was showing to Jacob that heaven was still accessible to someone like him. And the Lord was standing above it. Ladies and gentlemen, many times in our experience when it seems we have utterly reached the lowest part, when it feels like we have gone to the lowest pit of this earth, God is still willing to extend a ladder to us. And that ladder reaches all the way to the ground where we are at. And it goes all the way to heaven. And God is giving us hope that heaven is still accessible even to somebody like Jacob. And if heaven is accessible to somebody like that, surely heaven is accessible to someone like us. Amen? What is so remarkable, I was doing a study of scripture, and I was finding out which names are most repeated in the Bible. Do you know who number one is? Jesus is, right? Almost a thousand times. Do you know who number two is? Who? It was Jesus, Moses. Who's number three? David. Who's number four? Come on, think of all the most important men in Scripture. You would assume Abraham or Paul, it's Jacob. Did you know Jacob's name is more mentioned than Abraham's name? You want to know why that's super important? Because in the Bible, when men could relate to a particular patriarch, they would relate to the God of Jacob. Over and over again, when you read the book of Psalms, they're crying out to the God of Jacob, to the God of Jacob. Why? Because in their lowest spiritual experience, they knew that God helped somebody like Jacob when he was in his experience, and they reminded God of that. God, you are the God of Jacob. And if you're willing to be the God of Jacob, I know you're willing to be my God. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes we fail to pray to the God of Jacob. You know what I mean? Sometimes we fail to pray to the God who understands struggles, who's acquainted with all the ways, who knows what it's like to be at the lowest part of humanity. And here Jacob, who was at the lowest part in his whole experience, received one of the greatest visions or pictures he had ever seen of God, and that was that there was accessibility to God still. And that is what is so powerful when we think about this. But now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask you another question. What did Jacob actually see on that ladder? What were the angels doing? Huh? Okay. Now, we all understand why God showed Jacob the ladder, but many of us fail to understand, wait a minute, why is it that Jacob was seeing angels coming up and down this ladder? Why was he seeing this part right here? Now, here's the thing. If I was to ask you what angels do, most of you guys would tell me something like this. Oh yeah, I'll tell you what angels do. The bad angels, they tempt people. The bad angels, they annoy people. The bad angels, they harass people. The bad angels, they possess people. The bad angels, they deceive people. Then I say, well, what do the good angels do? And most of you are going to be like, they protect Christian toddlers. Anything else? That's it. In other words, we know more about bad angels than we actually do good angels. And you know I'm speaking the truth right now. Can anybody tell me what do good angels do besides protect Christian babies? Take our prayers to God, messengers. What else? They minister to us. Amen. What else? 
What? Protect. Anything else? To keep records. What else? Huh? Test us? Okay, good. What else? What else do good angels do? They encourage us. Okay, good. What else do good angels do? Who? They reveal truth. What else do they do? They warn us. What else? Take our prayers to heaven. Okay, you guys have said a lot of good things, but here's the thing we need to understand. If there ever is a time for under us to understand the dynamics of what angels are doing, it is now. We're actually given counsel where we're told that we're supposed to press home to this understanding that we need to be more aware of what angels are doing in these last days. And not just fallen angels, ladies and gentlemen, but the good angels. And the reason why is because us having an understanding of what's happening behind the scenes helps us to know how we should live, how we should pray, and how we should act as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. You know, one of my good friends, he actually has this car he's been fixing up. He lives in the Midwest now, and he's somebody who likes to drift. Do you know what it means when someone likes to drift? It's like when they're driving a car and for sport, not just drifting because it's rain there, but they like to drift around the corner because they get some kind of sensation or thrilling experience as they're going around the corner. He is now able to get up to 90 miles an hour and drift around the corner. Pretty crazy, right? Considering it's not a really safe car he drives. I know because I backed into it and almost crushed it. Here's the thing. But... He now is developing an advantage. Well, what's the advantage? He is a mechanic. He has nearly replaced every single part in that vehicle. He knows every nut, every bolt in that vehicle. He knows about the oil that's circulating in the engine. He knows about the gears and the crankshaft. He knows how the engine works. He knows about the suspension. Actually, when he's driving, if he senses something in the car, he can immediately identify and adjust for that. In other words, the more you understand about something, the greater advantage you will have. And if there ever is a time for us to understand the workings of what takes place behind the scenes with these good angels, it is now. There are a lot of people who understand all the bad things the bad angels are doing, but when it comes to the good angels, it's like, well, we know they're doing that stuff, we just don't know when it's happening. God is calling us to re-examine and re-evaluate what these good angels are doing. Look what the Bible says right here, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are they not all what? Ministering spirits sent forth to what? Minister for those who will inherit what? Salvation. Salvation. By the way, can you tell me about when angels were involved in the ministry of Christ? When? Where? When he was crying out in the Gospel of Luke, the Bible tells us an angel came down and strengthened Jesus when he was suffering the second death, when he was being tempted by Satan in the Garden of Gethsemane. Are there any other angels that were involved in the ministry of Jesus? Vince, where? Yes, the Bible tells us in one of the Gospels that when Jesus was tempted and he passed the temptation, angels came and they ministered to him. What, do that, what does that first encounter with these angels have to do with the last encounter with the angel? When were these angels visibly present to Jesus? It was when he was at his weakest moment. Ladies and gentlemen, what Jacob was seeing were angels going up and down the ladder. If you go to a construction site, and there you see a construction site, and there's this fence around this construction site, right? And you see a bunch of ladders that are going into this building, and you're looking at it, 
and you don't see anybody on the ladders. And you look, and there's trash on the floor. The trash cans are full. You look, and there seems to be a lot of rotted wood on the ground. What do you begin to assume about that construction site? It was abandoned. They ran out of money. Maybe they're taking a great vacation. Maybe the plans were canceled. But if you see the exact same construction site, and you see multiple ladders, and you see construction workers going up and down the ladders, nailing in stuff into the wall, coming right back down, what do you assume about that construction site? What? It's on schedule. In other words, the building is still being completed. Do you know what God was showing Jacob? He was still showing him, I'm still working on your plans. I'm still fulfilling the purposes in your life, Jacob. I'm even showing you behind the scenes that my angels are still working on your behalf. And at a time when Jacob was utterly depressed, utterly discouraged, when he could go no lower than sleeping on a rock, this princely man who had lost everything, here he is, and God is still showing to him, hey, my purposes can still be completed in your life. And my plans will still be accomplished regardless of what you do. But the Bible tells us something so remarkable in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, that specifically, the greatest joy that these angels have is to rescue lost souls by sharing with them the message of salvation. Can you say amen to that? In fact, do you want to know why the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke that all of these angels rejoice when one sinner is brought to the Lord? Because they know their mission has been a success. They know the plans that have been carried out have been successful. Ladies and gentlemen, angels are involved in the work of saving souls. If there ever is a time for us to evaluate and understand the mission of these good angels, it is now. We don't pray to angels, but we pray to the God who commands these angels. And as we pray to him, he will send them help. And the days that we are struggling and days that we are weak when it feels like we have no more strength in us, God will send his angels to us and we will sense their sympathizing love as they surround us and encourage us and lift us. And the more closer we come to Jesus, the more we will discern their presence among us. The Bible tells us that when Joshua the high priest was standing before God, God says, if you're faithful to my commandments, I will give you a place where these angels stand. God was telling Jake, uh, Joshua, hey, you're faithful to me? You will walk with angels. You will sense their presence. And you will know that you are never alone on this earth, for they will be your companions. Can you say amen to that? And it's so remarkable when you think about this. But we're even given very special messages in Revelation. Three powerful messages that are carried by angels. The Bible tells us that these are the three... What? It's like the Pledge of Allegiance for Seventh-day Adventism. Three angels' message, right? Attention! We know what those three angels' messages are. And they're belting the world like never before. And the whole world is hearing about these powerful angelic messages that are getting to every single corner, every single pocket of this entire world. But we're given special light about what that third angel's message is. The Bible tells us that it says to avoid the mark of the beast, to receive the righteousness of Christ, to understand that the cross of Calvary, ladies and gentlemen, 
is the most pivotal point of the third angel's message. All the beautiful truths that we have in the Bible, from the Sabbath to the state of the dead, all these things are important. And when they combine with the cross of Calvary, they are bringing out an even greater picture of the love of God for humanity. Can you say amen to that? The Bible teaches us that we carry the beautiful message of the cross. And as we carry the message of the cross, we teach this message of justification, that God forgives sinners. But he not only forgives sinners, ladies and gentlemen, God is washing away the filth that is in our life. And it was so remarkable, I was reading a quote by C.H. Spurgeon, that great English preacher of the old days, during the 1700s, 1800s. And he would preach and be great revivals all over Christendom. And he wrote something that blew my mind away when it came to this message of justification by faith. God's free offer of forgiveness. This is going to blow your mind away. Ready for this? Trembling to share this. Here it is. What a state of privilege. Now watch what he says. What a state of privilege. It includes our justification before God, but the term acceptance in the Greek, in other words, being accepted with God, means more than that. Think about this. Before you look, don't look on the screen. Look at me, you guys, real quickly. I don't want you to get this. Imagine if you crossed your family. You did something so bad. And you ask for forgiveness, and they say, we'll accept you in the family. There seems to imply this state of, yeah, we're going to let you in, but we're watching you. Watch what he says next. Now you can look on the screen. I know some of you guys were cheating. It signifies that we are the objects. Here it is. We are the objects of divine compliance. Complacent. Nay, watch this. Here it is. Even of divine delight. Ladies and gentlemen, justification is more than God just forgives you. Or God simply forgets about what you did. God delights in you. So you're telling me that when we ask God for forgiveness, that when we ask for his justification, when we ask for his righteousness, God actually gives it to us, and he's happy with us at that moment? Oh, come on, you guys. When we forgive people... You know as well as I do, we look at them suspiciously to make sure they will never do it again. You know that's the truth, and sometimes that's necessary. But what Jesus is doing here, Jesus cleanses us, and that justification means God looks at you, and he is saying, I'm happy with you. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized? Do you remember the voice that came? What did the voice say? This is my beloved son. Did he just stop right there? What did he say? I am well what? What does it mean when you're well pleased with somebody, ladies and gentlemen? What does it mean when you're well pleased with them? Does it simply mean that they're now acceptable in your sight? Is that what it means? Does it simply mean, well, we'll give them a room? That's about it. What does it mean when they're well pleased with you? It means they take joy and they're happy to be around you. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when we are accepted in the beloved, when we are justified by Christ, not only is God washing away our sins, but he's taking this this change with us. He's producing this, this new perspective that we have of him, and that is, I want you to know I'm happy with you. 
What a stark contrast to the way humanity offers forgiveness. This is the core of Adventism right here. This beautiful message of justification, of forgiveness, full and free. Sometimes the effects of sins do, sins do follow us. And God allows it to teach us and to be a guide for us the rest of our life. When Jacob wrestled with the angel, for the rest of his life, he still had to what? Walk with the limp. But it was a reminder to him that God still loved him. And for him to avoid the things that he did in the past. Ladies and gentlemen, God loved Jacob so much. And he was giving him this beautiful message that God delighted in Jacob. Even at the worst possible moment when he felt utterly forsaken, abandoned, even separated from his own family. God said, I am delighting in you, Jacob. I love to be around you. You make me happy to be in your presence because of this justification. Let's continue. It signifies that we are the objects of divine... Compl- Why do you say that word? Okay. Nay, even of divine delight. How marvelous that we, worms, mortals, sinners, should be the objects of divine love. But it is only in the beloved. Some Christians seem to be accepted in their own experience. At least that is their apprehension. When their spirit is lively and their hopes bright, they think God accepts them. For they feel so high, so heavenly minded, so drawn above the earth. Praise the Lord. All the good things are happening in my life. God loves me. As soon as something bad happens, oh, he has utterly forsaken me. No. Let's continue. Where was I at? They feel so high, so heavenly minded, so drawn above the earth. But when their souls cleave to the dust, they are the victims of the fear they are no lo- that they are no longer accepted. If they could but see that all their high joes do not exalt them, and all their low despondencies do not really depress them in their Father's sight, and that they stand accepted in the one who never alters, in one who is always the beloved of God, always perfect, always without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing how much happier they would be and how much more they would honor the Savior. Amen? Rejoice then, believer, in this, that thou art accepted in the Beloved. Thou lookest within and thou sayest, there is nothing acceptable here. There's nothing here, Jesus. But look at Christ and see if there is nothing acceptable there. If not, everything is acceptable there. Thy sins trouble thee, but God has cast thy sins behind his his back, and thou art accepted in the righteous one. Thou hast to fight with corruption and to wrestle with temptation, but thou art already accepted in him who has overcome the powers of evil. Can you say amen to that? The devil tempts thee. Be of good cheer. He cannot destroy thee. And I love what Ellen White says. Satan is not invincible. He is not invincible. Can you say hallelujah to that? He is not. He cannot destroy thee, for thou art accepted in him who has broken Satan's head. No, by full assurance, by thy glorious standing, even glorified souls are not more accepted than thou art. They are accepted in heaven in the beloved, and you even now accepted in Christ after the same manner. Can you say praise the Lord, ladies and gentlemen? The greatest experience that we can walk out with is knowing that we are right with God, ladies and gentlemen, and regardless of whatever storms, regardless of whatever trials, or even our own backsliding that may hit us, ladies and gentlemen, as long as we are in proximity of Christ, we cannot be lost. We cannot be lost as long as we are in his proximity. That's why the Bible says he is our refuge. 
Amen? And I love how Ellen White says it right here. From a human point of view, this, the outlook of spiritual regeneration of the nation, talking about Israel, was as hopeless as is the outlook today before God's servants who are laboring in the dark places of the earth. But the church of Christ is God's agency for the proclamation of truth. She is empowered by him to do a special work. And if she is loyal to God, obedient to his commandments, there will dwell within her the excellency of divine power. If she will be true to her allegiance, there is no power that can stand against her. The forces of the enemy will be no more able to overwhelm her than the chaff to resist the whirlwind. And I love this part right here. There is before the church the dawn of a bright and glorious day. If she will put on the robes of Christ's righteousness, withdrawing from all the allegiance to the world, God calls upon his faithful ones who believe in him to talk courage to those who are unbelieving and hopeless turn to the lord you prisoners of hope seek strength from god the living god show an unwavering humble faith in his power and his willingness to save and i love this part right here the best part when in faith we take hold of his strength he will change wonderfully change the most hopeless the most discouraging outlook he will do this to the glory of his name can you say hallelujah and that is what happened to the experience of Jacob, ladies and gentlemen. At his lowest part, God utterly changed the situation. The most hopeless, discouraging outlook that Jacob was now facing was utterly changed by Jesus. God loves each and every person here. God loves you with a special love more than you truly understand. And regardless of the distance you may have felt recently in your life from God, Know this, God is extending his grace to you. And if you will take hold of this, ladies and gentlemen, you will receive that which God has been willing to, waiting to give you, and that is his pure, holy righteousness, the joy and delight to know that God can be pleased with you. You know, I've been a Christian for about 12, 13 years now. And the one thing I have really struggled with over and over again in my life is this idea of what God feels about me. I know he pities me. He pities Savior. He, pity, he pities sinners. I know he loves me. God loves sinners. But does God take joy in me? Does he actually like and is pleased by me knowing what I am? The remarkable thing is, ladies and gentlemen, if you accept his justification, you will know for a fact God is pleased with you. And there is no greater joy than walking out that God smiles upon you as he did to Jacob those many years ago. Can you say amen to that? That is something God is willing to offer to the most hopeless of sinners, to the most discouraged people, God is willing to extend his ladder of grace to any person who will receive it. And if that's somebody in this group today, and you're saying, Lord, please show me that ladder again. I want you to stand if that's your desire. God is willing to do it, ladies and gentlemen. Look what Isaiah 40 verse 27 says. Why do you say, oh, Jacob, here God is recounting the words of his own people that they're thinking and feeling. Why do you say, oh, Jacob, and speak, oh, Israel? 
My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. God is recounting the people and what they are saying in their hearts, and what they are saying is, God, how come you're not working in my life anymore? These people are saying, God, did you forget about me? God is recounting the doubts that his own people are expressing in their hearts. I know God's working over there, but I think he's forgotten about me. And watch what God says next to that doubt. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the what? Can you say hallelujah? And to those that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their what? They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Can you say hallelujah to that? Let's just take a moment of silence, ladies and gentlemen. In that moment of silence, give God a prayer, a prayer in your heart, and ask him to reveal that ladder to you again so you may know that heaven is surely accessible to you and that his plans are still being fulfilled in your life today. Father, right now we just want to take a moment. Father, we just thank you for being the God of Jacob, our God, Lord. Thank you, Lord, you do not forsake sinners like us, but you understand, and you never are weary or you faint or you give up, God. I thank you, Lord. There is hope that is available even to the worst of us. God, we thank you that the angels are ascending and descending still on our behalf, that the plans that you have for us, God, will still be fulfilled. Thank you for reminding us of that promise that he who has begun a good work in you shall complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. May every person walk out with the assurance and the confidence, Lord, that you wash away their sins and that you delight in them. And God, may our hearts respond in our action and in our life. May we be obedient to you, God, because of your goodness and love. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Let everybody say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.